Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Friday, July 2nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a federal appeals court will review a provision of Mississippi's Constitution that prohibits some felons from voting. Then, legislation effective this week could give incarcerated Mississippians a new lease on life and a pre-holiday primer on fireworks safety. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals will hear a challenge to a Mississippi constitutional provision that prevents people convicted of certain felonies from voting. Voting rights advocates say the ban is discriminatory because data shows it disproportionately affects black Mississippians. According to Nishambi Lambright of civil rights nonprofit One Voice, that's by design. Mississippi's disenfranchisement law has been in place since the 1890 Constitution, and it is actually documented in the state's Constitution that the crimes that were picked to disenfranchise potential voters were picked because they were crimes that former slaves were most likely to commit. So in the original Constitution, there were about 10 crimes that were listed that permanently take your voting rights away. Mississippi um, expanded that number of crimes in the late 1990s through an attorney general's opinion that expanded the definition of theft. So crimes like shoplifting and carjacking that weren't around back in the beginning were added to that list. And so that increased the list to 21. Now we are at 23 disenfranchising crimes. And in Mississippi, the only way to get your voting rights restored if you've been convicted of one of those 23 felonies is through a governor's pardon or a legislative process where you actually become a bill seeking to get your suffrage restored through the state legislature. 
Rob McDuff is an attorney at the Mississippi Center for Justice, which brought the challenge to the voting ban. Speaking with MPB's Kobe Vance, he explains why his organization wants the provision changed. This is one of many provisions that were adopted in 1890 to take the vote away from the black people who had attained it after slavery was abolished at the end of the Civil War. Now, those other provisions have, for the most part, been completely uh, eradicated as a result of federal court decisions or the the Federal Voting Rights Act of 1965. But this particular provision is still on the books and still in operation uh, at a time when most states have repealed their felon disfranchisement laws. It is time for Mississippi to remove this particular provision from its constitution given its racist origins and given the given the racial discrimination that is sort of inherent in this particular list of crimes. And now you said that it targeted African-Americans to begin with. Does it still do that to this day? Yes, the law still has a racially disproportionate impact. All, all of these crimes are nonviolent crimes. They were chosen not because they were the worst crimes, because they were, but, but because they were the crimes that the 1890 framers believed were committed uh, by black people much more than white people. So it has a discriminatory purpose and a discriminatory impact. Now, there were two uh, other crimes added in 1968, murder and rape to the list of disfranchising crimes in the Mississippi Constitution. We are not challenging those two. Uh, Even if we win our case, those two would remain on the books, but we are challenging those crimes that are on on the racist list that was adopted in 1890. Why do you all think it's important to restore voting rights for these individuals? One of our plaintiffs is a guy named Roy Harness, who is a military veteran, who was convicted of forgery in 1986 while he was in the middle of a crisis of drug addiction. He has since kicked the drug habit. He earned his degree in social work from Jackson State at the age of 62. He works trying to help others kick their drug habits just like he did many years earlier. This is the sort of person who should be participating in democracy and who should be allowed to vote. And the fact that he was convicted of this this nonviolent crime is not a reason to keep him from voting. He has served his sentence, he has paid his dues, and, and, and he and others like him should be allowed to vote. Most states throughout the United States allow people to vote after they have served their sentences. Mississippi is banning people permanently from voting if they were convicted of any of the crimes on this racist list. Uh, and we need to, to get in step with the rest of the country and, and get rid of this ridiculous provision. What do you think Mississippi could look like if this provision is overturned? Well, I think it will, I think it will be a, <laughs> another, another step into the future and away from the legacy of the past that is represented by the 1890 Constitution and the sort of racist plan it had to exclude black people from public life. Uh, And I think the further we can move away from some of the awful parts of our past, the better our state will be. Are there any other aspects about this lawsuit that you think are significant that Mississippians should know about? 
when we first brought our challenge before the federal district court, it ruled against us, and then we took it to a panel of the a three judge panel of the court of appeals, and it ruled against us, all because of a similar case in 1998 that was brought by two prisoners at Parchman challenging this provision, but they didn't have lawyers. When we filed this case in 2017, we presented some additional evidence uh, that we thought distinguished our case from that one. But unfortunately, the the federal district court and the three-judge panel of the Court of Appeals ruled against us because of the ruling in that case many years earlier. Now that we have the case before the full 17 judges of the Court of Appeals, they are not bound by that earlier three-judge panel decision from 1998. They can look at this issue anew. And so as a, as a legal matter, we are very pleased that we're going to be able to present our case to the, to the full complement of the U.S. Court of Appeals without having to, to deal with this long-headed decision from 1998. So those are, those are the main things that I think are, are important with respect to this particular case. Robert McDuff is an attorney with the Mississippi Center for Justice. Rob, thank you for joining us today. Sure. Thank you. Mississippi denies more people the right to vote because of felony convictions per capita than any other state in the nation. Coming up, parole reforms take effect in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. One of the more notable and surprising bills to receive Governor Tate Reeves' signature during this year's legislative session was Senate Bill 2795. It loosens parole eligibility requirements for incarcerated Mississippians. The governor vetoed similar legislation the year prior, citing concerns that it would jeopardize public safety. Alicia Judkins is director of the Mississippi chapter of Forward.us, a prison reform advocacy group. As 2795 goes into effect this week, Judkins tells MPB's Kobe Vance she believes the law will bring positive change to the criminal justice system. This means increased opportunity for people in Mississippi's correction system who are incarcerated to have the opportunity for an earlier release. So we are very excited that more people have the opportunity to return home sooner than they originally hoped or thought, thanks to increased parole eligibility. Now, when this goes into effect tomorrow, what practically are Mississippians going to be looking at who want to take uh, action in this program? It's important to note that once the law goes into effect tomorrow, that no one will automatically be released tomorrow. In fact, what parole expansion is, it's not automatic release. What will happen tomorrow is that more people will have the opportunity to present their case for the parole board. Uh, what we know is that um, approximately around 600 people will immediately become eligible, but it's going to take the parole board some time to put all the processes in place to be able to make notifi- notifications, excuse me, schedule parole hearings and the rest of the parts of that process that have to go um, into play. But what um, the good news is, is that what it's going to do is it's going to increase hope for people who weren't previously eligible for parole. It's going to give them a renewed sense of hope for the, not just them, but for their family and their loved ones as well. 
what are some of the requirements for somebody to qualify for this program? So with parole eligibility, for people convicted of offenses classified as nonviolent will become eligible for a parole hearing after serving 25% of their sentence or 10 years, whichever is less. And so that is particularly helpful for people who are serving decades-long sentences for drug convictions, for example. People convicted of offenses considered as violent will be eligible after 50% of serving 50% of their sentence or 20 years, whichever is less. And for some specific crimes, people will have to serve 60% of their sentence or 25 years, whichever is less. And again, that's going to depend on the offense under which people are serving time for. And again, once MDOC has gone through their classification process, people will be appropriately notified. When do you think that people might be getting these notifications, or when do you think we'll start to see people finally become released for parole that have been imprisoned for many, many years? I am not sure how soon it will start. I do know that under the new law, um, where there are situations and offenses where a victim was impacted, like there has to be a notification process, and that person or that family has to be notified within 30 days. And so for people who are required to have a hearing, not everyone is required to have a hearing, uh, but for people who are required to have a hearing, that has to happen at minimum 30 days out. So I don't think it's going to be, you know, from July 1st, you know, in 30 days and everything is kind of perfect. I do think it's going to take some time to put the appropriate processes in place. But at the very earliest, it'll take 30 days to make sure all the appropriate notifications have been made. Now, what do you see this doing for Mississippi's prison system that has been notoriously overcrowded, especially looking back to last year in January when we had uh, in January of 2020 when we saw an outbreak of violence in Mississippi prisons, especially in Parchman? So a couple of things. What we're hoping to see with this is, of course, a decrease in our prison population. In the coming years, uh, this is going to impact people into the thousands. And so we want to see our prison rates, um, our prison population, excuse me, decrease. Mississippi has the second highest rate of imprisonment in the country. And so getting people out of prison is of the utmost importance in our state. And secondly, what this is going to do is give a renewed sense of hope to people serving time, serving these decades-long sentences. is going to give them a renewed sense of hope that they will get a second chance or another chance to be reunited with their families, their communities, and to get a new lease on life. Initiatives aimed at reducing prison population can have practical utility, too. That's especially true in cash-strapped states like Mississippi. 15th Circuit Judge Prentice Harrell acknowledges this reality rather frankly. A lot of crimes that are get sent up, we used to send people up back when I first started many years ago, give them 10 or 15 years for smoking a joint. Well, we found out that was terribly expensive and it didn't work. We were just really locking people up for modest for crimes of nonviolence. Now, they were crimes, but they were nonviolence, and we thought that was the answer. But when it got so terribly expensive that it was a lot of light was being shed on that expense, and unfortunately, 85% of our people, when they got out, we gave them a bus ticket and told them to go be and 20 bucks and told them to go be good, and that did not work, and our recidivism rate was running out of the roof. The Mississippi Department of Corrections says they're focused on expanding job training resources for parolees in anticipation of heightened demand. 
Coming up, how to navigate this holiday weekend with minimal risk to life and limb. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. This weekend, we celebrate the 4th of July. It's a holiday that lends Americans untold opportunities to do ill-advised things with pyrotechnics. Mike Cheney is Mississippi's fire marshal and a friend of the program. He says some fireworks are more dangerous than others. Things like cherry bombs are not permitted to be sold in the state of Mississippi and a lot of other states are the same way. But public fireworks displays can have different types of fireworks that are not sold to the public. In other words, if a city or a county or even the state has a fireworks display, they can use fireworks that the general public cannot obtain. And yet we hear about those who have fireworks that are of that caliber, cherry bombs and and others. Is there a black market for fireworks? A lot of people bring them back into the state of Mississippi, Karen, and we try to prohibit that. But um, I really do not have the statutory authority to go after stands within a city. That's usually a matter that the municipality must handle. But cherry bombs, blockbusters, and some of the other techniques that come into the state are brought in illegally. I read that 50% of the injuries are of children and young adults under the age of 20, and that a majority of those injuries came about because of amateurs trying to use professional-grade, homemade, or other illegal fireworks. Well, you're correct in that. People will often take illegal blockbusters or cherry bombs break them open and combine all the powder and try to put them into one container and that's not safe because they don't know what they're doing a couple of things can happen that powder can explode itself or it can ignite and in addition if the uh, containers uh, they put them in glass or something that's metal it can blow up and hurt someone so it's very risky to even try to make your own fireworks and we we certainly uh Ask folks that sell fireworks to tell people, don't try to manipulate the fireworks that you buy. Don't try to combine them with other things that you made. Use them as they are and be safe about it. And we ask the people that sell fireworks to also counsel folks when they buy them about don't let kids have sparklers. A lot of our injuries are from zero to five years of age, and most of those are by sparklers, which can reach 1,500 degrees in temperature. That's a severe burn. I also read that there's an average of 18,000 fires started by fireworks every year. So what are the recommendations? I mean, obviously you want to stay away from your house if you're shooting off fireworks. And again, if you live in the city, that's that's required anyway. Yeah, a lot of people will use things like bottle rockets. and they'll put them in a, They used to put them in Coke bottles or now plastic containers, which will burn, or a metal container from a soda pop can and set them off. And when you do that, you don't know which direction they're going. You think they'll go straight up or out away from you, but that's not always the case. You shoot one, it's like a snake. It wiggles everywhere and can go on top of a roof of a home. And we've had several uh, roof fires because most roofs are asphalt. Uh, Well, the bottle rocket landed on them, and those things burn very hot. We tell folks, do not use bottle rockets if you have dry grass or if the weather's extremely dry, which it doesn't look like we'll have 
a lot of dry weather in the southern part of the state of Mississippi, but we may have some in the northern part. So we've got contacts with the sheriff's departments, especially for the counties, to let people know to be very careful about bottle rockets. And if they visit the firework tents where the fireworks are sold, we've asked them to be certain that they tell the retailer, be careful with bottle rockets. What fireworks are legal and relatively safe to use? I mean, are we down to those little things that pop and do not much more than that? Or are there some fun fireworks you get a charge out of that are safer or relatively safer? We have a lot of fireworks that are sold that have aerial displays, and they're very relatively safe. You've got a good burn time from the time you light the fuse so you can get away at least 30 feet away from the uh, containers that shoot the fireworks into the air so you have an aerial display. Small fireworks have kind of fallen out of vogue. And the reason for that is kids are not smart enough to not hold them in the hand and light them. And they try to do that, and they get injured. So a lot of the smaller fireworks have gone out of vogue with purchasers. Most people now purchase the aerial phenomena that they have and these little aerial flight machines, and I forget the proper name of them, but they go up into the air uh, when you light them. And those are fairly safe. One thing we worry about are Roman candles, which people often hold and they shoot out into the air or light. If you point that at someone, you could severely injure them, and that's usually the cases that we have a lot of people injured from Roman candles in addition to sparklers. So that's one of the items that we say be safe with. All right, now I'm going to change the subject completely. You are on your way back from Omaha, where you were all week to see the Bulldogs take the world championship. And you sat in the stand. You you were seen with Dak Prescott, so I want to ask you about all of that. Well, actually, I was there on Tuesday night, and Dak Prescott came into the area where we were, got a photograph with him. I think the world of Zach, and uh, my grandkids do too. You had uh, Rafael Pomero was in the uh, St. Mary, we were, talked with him for a few minutes. Several uh, former state players, a lot of football players were there to support the baseball team. It was just, a, it was the most positive experience I can explain to you. I've waited 77 years for this championship, so it's a big deal for me. And I will tell you, the people in Nebraska are just absolutely ecstatic about how Mississippi has conducted themselves. They talk about how great we are, that we really are hospitality orientated in our state. And they appreciate it. Of course, we spent a lot of money up there, too. And that may have a bearing on their life, of course. <laughs> and, yet- <laughs> and it was a great win. It was a clean win. And um, all in all, it was just a great victory for uh, Mississippi State and for our coaching staff and for the university itself. You don't sound hoarse. You couldn't have been screaming and yelling that much. Well, I did have to yell. They wouldn't let me take my cowbell in. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great win. And, you know, Karen, one of the greatest things was that we had Ole Miss people. We had people from Texas. We had all kind of people rooting for Mississippi State. It was just, It's kind of like out of the 26,000 people there, probably 23,000 were from Mississippi or from Mississippi State, and maybe 3,000 were there for Vanderbilt. There wasn't much hollering for Vanderbilt. I, I hate to say that because Vanderbilt is a good school, but I think Mississippi outflanked them this time. I'm glad you were there, and I'm glad you shared a little bit of that with us. Mike Cheney is the Commissioner of Insurance for Mississippi, but also the State Fire Marshal. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. 
Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.